Hello and welcome to the Jabroni Show on CFRC 101.9 FM. As always, I'm kicking it back with Evan today on the show. And I think we got to start off with the most present news. It's been mad. It's been crazy. It's been March. It's been March Madness. How are you enjoying March Madness, Evan? All I can say is test negative and stay positive. Um, as expected, I've been injecting March Madness into my into my bloodstream uh, with relative ease. I I was thinking they should make like Fitbits for like sports consumption. Like I want to see how many hours I've put in on March Madness so far. I want to put. I want to see how much money I've put in on March Madness so far. I want to see. You know my heart rate during this point of the game. I, I I'm curious of these things. So that that's that's my newest venture that I was thinking about. Um, We're talking calories consumed as well. Oh yeah, 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 for sure. Just just purely based like at the time of me watching March Madness, though. I think the heart rate idea is a decent one too. But yeah, it's been it's been March Madness and and not much else. I mean, even when the conference tournament started, I I haven't I have not watched a single nba minute of basketball in i guess it's sunday today probably a week so i'm proud of that you know the tournament tournament uh is a bit different this year no the the blue buds aren't really you know popping as they as they usually are do kentucky of course north carolina is already out so is so is i mean ohio state isn't a blue bud but so is uh michigan state too so it's been an interesting tournament um, it feels like there's been more upsets than ever, which you'd love to see. Ohio State is already out. Uh, Texas already gone. Purdue already gone. I mean, everyone's bracket is busted. So you love to see it, to be honest. Um, yeah. How, how, how Have you been tuning in? I mean, to be honest, I think I'm on the flip side from you. And I've been, I haven't watched a minute of March Madness basketball. I mean, I understand the hype. I understand why people enjoy it. I'm just not as tapped in. I'd rather spend my time watching NBA minutes. So I guess I'd give this opportunity to you and any of our other listeners who might not be tapped into the March Madness as you are and might not be requesting that uh, Fitbit style for the sports consumption during this crazy weekend. How would you sell it to them? What have the top moments been? What should I be watching? Who should I be looking out for? And just what are how would you sell March Madness to somebody who's never watched it before? Not that I've never watched it, but I haven't watched this year so far. Uh, okay. Well, first of all, you talking down about my Fitbit concept or madness concept, saying that there wouldn't be enough demand for it. That's ridiculous. Of course, there'd be enough demand for it. But like, I, I, I actually, I wish I could... Um, I mean, I, I could talk about an hour why March Madness is, is the best sporting event of the year. First of all, what other like league and tournament has 68 teams in it? That, like just just the thought of that is crazy. So you get like you get the crazy mix of like, do you want, here's what I love. I get like the you get Oral Roberts University beating a team like Ohio State. You look at Ohio State's you know, basketball facilities and, and even their jerseys and their they, Mike Conley, Greg Oden, Evan Turner, you know, the list is kind of endless. And you get, you get this, these skinny dudes from Oral Roberts. They, they haven't played 
you know, another team in like the top 40 this entire year. And they come and they slap him. They, they, they have a guy named, they, they call him uh, Midcourt. I forget his last name. Something like Midcourt Mike, because all he does is just pull up for Midcourt. People are comparing him to Dame Lillard. But so, so that's the first reason, because there's so many teams. There's, there's teams like Loyola Chicago and, and Drexel and Oral Roberts University and, and Ohio, not Ohio State and Eastern Washington that all have just hilarious jerseys, hilarious dudes on the court. I mean, watching the coaches blow their minds uh, every other second is also pretty enjoyable. But I mean, the real reason the madness is great is because it's because of the, uh, the upsets. Um, there's no better, you know, Cinderella stories than in March madness. There's no other league where a team ranked you know kind of around the 40th out of in the entire in the entire league can can win and can win almost convincingly like it's it's just there's there's so many parts about it and then for like an nba guy like me who who loves the draft and loves a prospect watching like not not just someone like like Cade cunningham put in work which is awesome that's great but kind of the 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 mid-round guys like for example Book, James Book Knight, who's on UConn, who I thought was going to be like, had the potential to move up to like a very, very high lottery pick with this tournament. I thought he was going to perform well, and I thought UConn was going to perform well. They made Dudo in their own bed, and Book Knight will now be like the 20th pick. Um, on the flip side, you know, you got a player like, uh, kind of like Davion Mitchell, who's on Baylor, who isn't overly talented but you know if Baylor has a ton of success this tournament and he I mean he guards the other team's best player if that happens then he can you know rise as high as 10 and there's something there's something about you feel like you watch all like the scouting videos right before the draft and the big names talk about it but there's nothing actually like watching these guys for like in like a 40 minute game um you know, that's when that's when you kind of, for me at least, you you get a you get a kind of sense of their real talent. As I'm speaking right now, Illinois is down ten to Loyola Chicago. Illinois is ranked first in the tournament, I believe. Yeah, fifteen percent of all brackets have them making it to the final. So that's a pretty crazy development, to be honest. Um, but other than that, it's just like it's it's the culture around it. It's like it's just so perfect for some reason. All the teams are so team oriented. Like they'll never, they'll never focus on fighting players from other teams, the parents in the stands with the t-shirts of their, of their kid on it. It's just, it's, it's all perfect. Everything about it is, it's a shame that there aren't, you know, fans in the stands this year, but everything about March, March Madness is perfect to me also. And I mean, you can provide some input. Like I don't love, I love how talented NBA players are, but I don't love the style of play at all times. Just the the chucking threes and the it feels like any player can get a good shot at any time. At college, it feels like like the like offenses tighten and, and just aren't capable of scoring, and the spacing is narrow, so less threes are shot and there's more physicality. It's just awesome to me. There's it's just perfect. No, and I think that was a great sell on March Madness. I mean, I'm I'm wanting to get tapped in after that. And those stories about those teams are saying, I think I saw 
a TikTok of that coach with all the skinny dudes out of, I forgot the team names already, but the team that up made the big upset against Ohio State. There we go. Just clued in on one of them. And I mean, there's you don't really get that type of feeling. And I think it brings you back to those moments maybe in your own life where you've overcome the odds in some sort of sporting event, whether that be a recess hero moment or some sort of organized level. And that kind of just magical, like kid-like joy is just uncapturable. And the NBA, I think, is maybe what you're getting at. You don't really see these upsets to that level, except like maybe last year we saw like a Miami almost winning the finals that nobody had that expected. But even there, it's not the same as what we saw. And then that also makes me wonder, how do we end up without, like, how does Duke not make it in when they have all this fun, like, what happens there with those teams? Is there something I'm missing on that end as well? Yeah, that, I mean, that's the beautiful thing about college basketball. Um, you know, I, it feels like any team at any time could be any team in that in that a, a coach's plan and, um, you know, roster and kind of the way they play, the toughness, the mental preparedness, and, you know, the the willingness to, to really quite literally lay the body on the line if you're watching these games. There's some years where 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 Duke doesn't have that, and yeah, they may have you know three guys who are in the top forty uh, recruiting class, but honestly, that doesn't always match the kind of like the seniors who are playing for so much more than like they're not focused on going to the NBA. This is this is kind of all they have. So every you do get every kind of five seasons, and and Duke was kind of one of that this season. I mean, for Duke's case, they they had kind of a COVID scare earlier in the year, and then they started really underperforming and i mean i may catch some slack for this but i also think like coach k is like is quite possibly the most overrated coach of all time he he has trouble coaching when his team isn't that good i find um but yeah they just they they weren't good this year and it, it happens because you know i mean Take Oral Roberts, Ohio State, for example. Like your roster can be great, but you can lose on to any other team in college basketball. That's just, it's just a given. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's that's what else makes it so great. Like the, you will never see. I mean, I, I guess Embiid did it, but you'll never see like this this mid major like you'll never see in the NBA this 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 guy like balling this whole really team balling their eyes out after you know losing in a game or, or getting uh, beaten out of the playoffs but like i mean you may remember the video of darren fox and bam out of bio crying together like it means so much to these kids which is why the product on the court and and the culture around it is so great honestly like it's just it's just it's nothing like uh the nba the nba players are, are already getting paid these these guys are doing it for the glory or or hoping to get paid so it's like it's a whole nother it's a whole nother kind of scenario also kind of a factor of it is like nba players are much more like brand oriented for themselves like even the best of college players like don't really like it don't they don't care about themselves they they really buy into the team system just because it seems kind of how college sports work and i mean obviously coaches run a super tight ship but it's it's just it's awesome to see yeah with that being said, I want to. I know you mentioned Cade Cunningham earlier, mm-hmm. but who are some other standout players that maybe our uh, listeners should keep uh, their eyes on moving forward in the tournament? Uh, good question. And going into the draft. 
That's a good question. So the the other two is obvious. The the second one is obviously um, uh, Evan Mobley. Every once in a while, there's there is a big man who just performs insanely well in March Madness. That was kind of that was kind of uh, Julio Okafor at the time. At the time, um, you know, he didn't he didn't exactly uh, wow people in the regular season, but when it came to March, it was just pure domination. Uh, so I think Evan Mobley kind of has a chance to have the same March. He's placed for USC, and then Jalen Suggs, who's going to be projected to go around the top five. You know, he's on Gonzaga, and they're they're people's favorite to win. So we'll probably be seeing him till the very end. And then just a couple other names: Moses Moody on Arkansas, who's projecting to kind of have a kind of draft slot like. Uh, uh, Jarrett Culver almost, who who rises really really heavily in the end of the season. It's kind of looking like he's that type of player. So uh, if you kind of want to see an individual player carry 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 their team, I mean him and Cade Cunningham are both are both good ones. And then if you're looking to watch Michigan, of course, um, it's Franz Wagner. But other than that, uh, there aren't you know too many crazy crazy prospects. I mean fourth like the fourth fifth and fifth pick are probably going to be from the g league at night and jalen green and jonathan kaminga and quite honestly a lot of the top picks aren't in the tournament anymore like keon johnson Jaden springer zaire williams uh jalen johnson kai jones book knight uh sharif cooper they've and greg brown they're kind of guys who were projected to go in the top 20 they're all out of the tournament already which is kind of why march is so great you know you got guys who will probably go more like 50th overall dominating the guys who will go in the around the top 15 so that's another reason to love it but in terms of players i'd watch um i definitely try to watch uh, of course Cade because he's awesome but uh some mobley action wouldn't hurt anyone and some Moses Moody action wouldn't hurt anyone. And then a guy I love also on Gonzaga, who's projecting to look almost exactly like Joe Harris, is Corey Kispert. It's always fun to see just a great you know shooter in college, and he kind of fits that role. But in terms, like this isn't the craziest March Madness for draft prospects. I will say that. And I think that's a great breakdown. And. I know I said that was my last question about it, but as you were breaking down this list and how you're talking about these guys who are projected to go higher can easily get beat by the lower ranked guys. Mm -hmm. Do you think people buy into what they see during March Madness too much for draft stock and it usually sways the opinion late into the year? Or do you think that it's an important part of the draft evaluation? And I think it's we can also look back and compare it to last year where we didn't have March Madness and how the kind of the draft played out there with a lot more speculation about the overseas guys. Uh, it's a good question. My answer would be, that is a good question. So it kind of works it, to me in both ways. For example, when players kind of take their, when kind of lower ranked players who are projected to maybe go like late first take their teams uh kind of to the to the final four super super late i find those players get picked way too high kind of examples are you know the frank kaminsky who was picked way too early and then 
someone like uh, Shabazz Napier, who was picked way too early as well, even though they had great, um, you know, March Madnesses. Jarrett Culver is another example, to be honest. He rose tremendously during uh, Madness, and, you know, he probably deserved it, but he hasn't really shown anything uh, in the NBA. But to me, it's more, um, I think you look for guys, this is a good question. I think you look for guys who, uh, you don't don't necessarily make the end, but make a make a very, you know, big big kind of splash. Like I'm trying to think of an example this year. I think I think Moses Moody could end up being an example. Like I I don't think uh, uh, Arkansas is good enough to make it to the very end, but I mean they played Utah State and he balled out. They're playing Texas Tech today. I'd be surprised if he didn't ball out and. Uh, presuming that they make the next round, they'll have a relatively easy match against Florida or Oral Roberts. I think I think he'll ball it there too. I think you look for the players who have you know a really good three games, but not like carry their whole teams. And then because people usually jump way too high on those, but I I honestly don't give all I I I think I think players do rise too much to answer your question. And the more problem I have is that it's. In a way, it's almost tough to judge character in madness because, in theory, you could use kind of the madness as like a barometer of how like much of a team player this guy is. Let's say, but quite honestly, everyone in in, in March is a team player, so you won't like really notice big differences. Um, other than that, there are also just the classic like uh, Jimmer Fredette crazy madness gets picked eleven and is terrible. That 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 happens too. But they're at the same time. They're also uh, guys who rise. I mean, Brandon Clark's a pretty good example. He was on Gonzaga a couple of years ago. Had a really, really, really strong March Madness on the offensive and defensive end, and he rose. I didn't. I quite honestly understand why he rose. He was just the six. He was to me. He was just a six eight. You know, not terribly skilled offensive player who who played the role of big man. But I mean, he showed it in Madness and and his draft stock rise because of it and deservedly so so i think it works on both ends i'd just be cautionary of the guys who make it all the way and then you know picking them 10 because man the franks the the shabazz napiers and the culvers have not worked at all recently and nor has i mean deandre hunter has really only started um he hasn't really seen that many minutes in the NBA, but he hasn't looked great either. And he's another guy who rose tremendously because of the madness. So yeah, I think, I think it's, I think the best, the biggest thing to say about it is just to be, it's, it should, teams should be cautious. Yeah, no, I think that's definitely the right takeaway. And the last note I kind of want to leave off with on this March madness talk is just how fun the brackets are. I forgot to fill out my bracket last second. I was just busy with work this week and it just I just honestly lost track of it because I mean I'm normally used to it being at a different point in the NBA season, so I just honestly skipped my mind. But mm-hmm. the way anybody can fill out a bracket, it can get, be picked by anything, animals or there's so many fun different ways people have fun with the bracket and it's used for marketing and promoting that everybody feels like they could fill out a correct bracket. Yeah, I, mean, I know that's people. how random the tournament is. Yeah, I know people. Yeah, it, that's true. I know people who just flip coins. I know people who, who look uh, whichever team has 
better offensive rebound numbers, regardless of the seed, just go with them. And, you know, it's so random in a way that it, it works. I mean, I, my bracket, I, I like to think I know a thing or two about college basketball, but like even my bracket is, um, you know, it's in like the 70th percentile of all brackets on ESPN. Honestly, not great, but there's think, like, sorry, go keep going. No, no, no all you. Yeah, because like what makes me think about the brackets and how fun they are is thinking back to, I forget what year it was, but we were either in grade like 10 or 11 in high school. And I, back when I was uh, like, still didn't know a lot about the NBA and was just still learning a lot. And as far as March Madness go, knew absolutely nothing. I remember I picked, I think it was the year South Carolina made it to the final uh, or maybe North Carolina, one of or California, something south or north of a sea state made it super far. Nobody had them. And I just randomly picked them to go that far. By the end, I was top 5% of brackets and I had no idea what was going on. But you feel like a genius. You feel like you've done something correct. You're bought in. You're watching the games of the teams you picked. And it's honestly a joy. Yeah, you feel like you cracked the code. It's it's amazing. Even though it's totally not you, it's, it's totally random, it feels like. Oh, yeah, and- 100% totally random. Man, it, Illinois is in, in uh, it's looking dangerous for them. It's looking like they're about to lose to to Loyola Chicago. This is this would be a crazy, crazy upset. Although Loyola Chicago is a very, very talented team, I will say that. That's the one with the older grandmother, right? Who likes watching them? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Sister Jean, and then Illinois. That's like and- another March Madness thing, right there. Like, there's just these people that these are exactly. somehow become mascots because they just love it so much. The fans, everything, the pageantry. I, I, I love the old fans, the alumni. Honestly, it's one of the best part, and the parents. It's great. And I mean, I want you to keep us updated on that game and just kind of the reactions of it falling through there, and maybe some of the love we've been seeing and talking about how players are so happy to win these games and this upset and the the huge fan bases that these teams have and more than the huge also the dedicated fans that they do have as well Mm -hmm. and i want to kind of transition from those dedicated fans to some rfas that could be leaving some of their own dedicated fan bases this upcoming off season or potentially as soon as the trade deadline geez that was a that was a smooth transition I think I think that might be one of our top five transitions, if I'm not humble bragging too much. Yeah, clip that. <laughs> so for uh, the RFAs that are uh, leaving uh, potentially on the move or could be on the move this uh, trade deadline or offseason are Alonso Ball, John Collins, Laurie Markinen, Zach Collins, Josh Hart, Malik Monk. And then as well, the 2017 first-round picks who haven't signed extensions, Devontae Graham, Duncan Robinson, and Kendrick Nunn. Well, I guess uh, in the case of Duncan Robinson, Kendrick Nunn, and Devontae Graham, they aren't first-round picks, but they still haven't signed their rookie extensions. The first bunch I mentioned are the 2017s who didn't sign their rookie extensions. Mm -hmm. So do you want to just kick it off with, I think Lonzo Ball is probably the most intriguing out of all of them. There was major trade talks around him earlier in the season when his three-point shot just wasn't falling. There seemed to be a button that clicked. All of a sudden, he's shooting at a spectacular clip at a great rate. And honestly, I think he plays great defense. He's a player that I think any team could use and could benefit winning. So I know the trade talks are there for moving him. I know it's because they don't think they want to pay him. And there's other players on that team like Brandon Agram. They do want to pay. 
But I really believe Lonzo Ball is a valuable player, and I'm extremely intrigued to see where he ends up. What do you think about Lonzo? Yeah, the Lonzo's season this year has kind of been odd. It went from like they were like heavily shopping him to them being like, well, we like him, but we're trying to build around Zion, rightfully so. So we're not sure if he's in our future plans. And then it kind of went to actually we like him because, well, honestly, he's really good. And, you know, the trade value they would have gotten from at that point, I don't I don't know how high that would be. Um, for me, I'd, I'd be pretty shocked if they, he's going to, he's going to demand, command a fair bit of money on the open market, especially just because there are so few, you know, free agents, um, upcoming. And again, Lonzo's, Lonzo's good, but I, I'm curious, I'd be surprised if the Pelicans retain him. I mean, we were just talking about it. They gave Ingram a max. And they'll give Zion a max the year after this year. Um, if you want to build around Zion, Lonzo, I'm not sure if Lonzo's the best guy to do it. But my thing is like, you say you want to build around Zion, but then you, you know, trade for Bledsoe. Um, at a point. Also, is Ingram the right guy to build? Is Ingram better to build around Zion with than Lonzo? So that's that's another good question to me. Ingram's just, you know, he's way too talented and way too good for like, he's just miles ahead of Lonzo. He, he's almost too good to, you know, just say like, this doesn't work because Zion, that, that doesn't make sense to me. But with, with Lonzo, it's a tough one. If I'm them, I'm trying to acquire, I'm trying to keep as much talent as I can. I'm, 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 I'm considering signing Lonzo to a fairly big contract, especially because you know, you have you have draft picks and and you can work out trades and things like that. But um, I'm not as curious. It's not. It's almost not even fun to think about whether the Pelicans, what the Pelicans are going to do to him. It's kind of more fun to see think of where he's going to go because there are two options to me that both seem awesome. I don't think either of them should happen for the sake of like Lonzo, but just as like a fan. How much fun would it be if he and the Lonzo going to Charlotte is is like a is a pipe dream, but like it's also you know possible they have a ton of cap space and like as ridiculous as it sounds, Lonzo and Lamelo would actually like work together pretty de- from from what we've seen this year. Lonzo and Lamelo would work together in a backcourt, and I'd pretty confidently say that Lonzo is better than Rozier. And um, Devontae Graham, I mean, they have a bit of a loaded backcourt right now, but I mean, Rozier, Rozier's contract comes off their books. I, you know, Graham hasn't signed an extension, so that's one place. But the other, and actually, I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you share your thoughts, then I'll get to the other place after, or if you have any places you think of him going. There's one place that I'd like to see him, and I'm not sure it will happen. And I'm not sure how it would exactly happen, but I have some ideas and I'd love to see him actually on our Toronto Raptors. I think he would fit our system perfectly playing with Fred as kind of a combo guard. He's bigger. So he'll be able to help out on those other teams like the Ben Simmons in our uh, division where we need somebody bigger to kind of be on the floor as our point guard. So we're just not completely dwarfed by the giant Sixers. 
And I mean, whether we acquire him after maybe we don't resign Kyle Lowry this summer and he's an RFA and we're able to, and they don't end up matching our offer and they just let Lonzo walk, that is a extremely unlikely situation that they fumbled the bag on an asset as valuable as Lonzo like that. Or maybe there's some sort of, I don't even know if like a Pascal Siakam type trade or a norm package with, um, with somebody else like OG we'd have to give up, which would really hurt but i don't know there's a couple different ways we can make the salaries work for alonzo for sure and then we can definitely afford him with lowry coming off the books this summer Mm -hmm. so we could 100 percent afford lonzo it's more just like how much of a reset we want to do i know i'm not i i would love lonzo on our team again because he's good i love his play style and i agree he fits very well with fred what concerns me, and it doesn't really have to do that much about Lonzo, is that one, it's the, I, I think we can kind of accept that the Raptors, and they've been kind of marred by injuries and had some bad luck this year. But even if they had a good year and there was a good big man, I, you know, I'm not sure if they're, you know, top five, top four in the East. I think they're still six or seven. So at a certain point, especially with Lowry kind of exiting, at a certain point, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind them hitting a bit of a not rebuild, but a bit of a reset in the sense of clear some salaries. Um, you know, I'm not a huge Malachi Flynn guy, but he was a first round pick. You know, he he excuse me, he deserves some time on the floor. Um, OG deserves some more touches. So from that standpoint, I think I think maybe Lonzo would kind of keep us in that in that six seven seed range, which which is great. You know, if if I was a Charlotte Hornets fan. A Knicks fan, a Timberwolves fan, you take that, you know, a hundred out of a hundred times, really. But you know, I'm just I'm honestly more confident in in Masai and Nurse and you know Webster that if they were to kind of retool a bit, I, I think we'd be able to get a really, you know, comeback strong because I think we already have the foundation for it and we, we now have, you know, all of our picks, we have all of our draft capital. The other reason I'm not as sure about Lonzo, and if it comes in a trade, I think it makes sense. But to me, I don't know how much sense it would make getting rid of, because like signing both Lonzo and Norm it would be not just almost impossible to do, but really just kind of nonsensical to me. So if you're paying Lonzo all that money in restricted free agency, or you're trading for him, and getting rid of Norm, planning to sign him, um, kind of next year. Anyways, my question is: Do you how much how much better is Lonzo over Norm? And I mean, we may not even have Norm, you know, next year. I I think we should probably consider trading him this deadline. I don't know who desperately needs him, but that's just my kind of two cents on the topic. So I think, you know. It, the time almost doesn't feel right for Lonzo unless if we really, really tear it down and also get rid of, you know, maybe Siakam as well. But I would like to see Lonzo as a Raptor. No, I think you've definitely made some really good points as far as, I mean, if we lose Lowry and sign Lonzo, are we really a contender at that point? Or is Lonzo even better than Lowry, which I'd say probably not. And so... He's an intriguing piece, and I'd love to see him in a Raptors uniform. But as far as a long-term championship vision, I think you're right. As far as maybe needing a retool, 
Mm-hmm. It's just a and, it's a weird time to be making that type of decision in my in my opinion. Although I agree, I think Lonzo could actually get better. So it, from a certain point, it, it could be I don't know the other team, and it would just it would really just be a comedy. Although maybe it would work. Uh, it's it's the Knicks. How awesome! I mean, the Knicks have been looking for a point guard for for how many years? They got quickly in the draft. Who's looking like he'll be able to provide some at least you know playmaking and scoring from the point guard decision for the next however many years. But the Knicks have been looking for a point guard for for what feels like forever. They have their front court relatively figured out with with Robinson and Randall. Uh, the Knicks just really do need pieces everywhere but i mean it feels to me like they most need a point guard and again the fear of lonzo something kind of happening with the whole situation um that would scare me as a nick fan it would scare me if i'm lonzo but i'm could you imagine if you know lonzo had success with rj in that backcourt and then i mean randall probably wouldn't be there forever but but at that point you know the knicks would become you know, at least a perennial kind of all-star team. Uh, sorry, excuse me, not an all-star team, playoff team, and then you know they they can get a big free agency signing. I'd I'd love to see that narrative, especially after Lonzo didn't work in LA. But I'm also entirely aware aware that that could be like the worst thing ever for both the Knicks and Lonzo. But then again, like the cap space works. I think the play style works. I think Lonzo and Tibbs would, you know. I, I think that would get along pretty well. And I think I think in a weird way, Lonzo, in my opinion, wouldn't be bad as like this leader type role. Or like I wouldn't mind seeing Lonzo on a team where he could take a bit more command because I mean Lord knows he wasn't able to do it in on the Lakers. And I mean Lord knows that he's not really able to do it probably as much as he wants or other people want on the Pelicans. So I think I think the Knicks could be a really, really crazy fit. I just don't want to see Lonzo's progression and the Knicks' progression kind of die together. I think it, it could, it would be like a huge uh, home run or strikeout type of signing. But I'm man, I am I here for it? I'll tell you. No, I'm definitely here for all the Lonzo movement, and he doesn't necessarily. He's been playing amazing and. And definitely that's maybe shifted our bias if we were having this conversation at the start of the year. But we should be, you know, considering how he's current playing. And I think we both are on the page that he has the potential to get better. And it might be hard for him to reach that potential with the Pelicans. Correct. Yeah, I think, I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it feels like a weird place for him, you know? And with that being said, I want to talk about another RFA who, is in kind of a weird place, and that being John Collins on the Atlanta Hawks. I mean, they drafted Oneka and Kongwu this uh, draft very high up, and they offered him a contract earlier. He declined it. He wants to get the max. He wants to be paid. I don't know how they're going to figure it out. They paid um, They paid Danilo over the summer. They also paid... Um, Bogdanovich. Bogdanovich. They also paid Rondo. I mean, the list goes on. And are they just going to let him walk in free agency? But are they going to trade him? What are they going to trade him for? They're trying to make the playoffs. They're currently poised to make the playoffs, but John Collins plays a big role on their team. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of just an awkward spot. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that John Collins situation. Yeah. Um, my first thought on like 
it, whether where Collins, you know, will go is or or what will happen to Collins is I would be shocked if he is in an Atlanta jersey next year. I was I I personally think that if if I'm building around a piece, I may build it over Collins. I I may build my team over Collins over Trey on with sorry, excuse me, with John Collins over Trey Young. Um but I think it's clear that he's it's it's it, it hasn't worked for him there. Um I think he deserves max money. I think he's going to get max money. Uh I don't know if he's going to go to restricted free agency though. I think if I'm the Hawks and it's such a weird situation because like you said, you kind of they invested in so so many many players and spent all this money to be good like this year and next year. That was their clear goal and they're now kind of climbing up the standings but they don't f- still feel that good. Like, like they're playing that good, and they have so much, you know, wing depth and big man depth between DeAndre Hunter, Clint Capella, Danilo Gallinari, Bogdanovich, uh, and Onyeka. That it, it like doesn't feel like John Collins really has a place. And I, again, I think John Collins is amazing. Uh, his effective field goal percentage is through the roof. He's super, super efficient, super talented, and he doesn't shoot the ball enough, in my opinion. Like. DeAndre Hunter's getting 11. You're, like, you're going to tell me that DeAndre Hunter gets 11.7 shot field goals attempts a game and Collins only gets 13. Like, that's a that's not a big enough disparity for me. I, I just feel like we've heard reports of, you know, Collins, um, you know, being upset in the past. And it just, I'd be shocked if he was there this summer, uh, there next season. Now, my question to you is... It's it's a weird situation because why would Atlanta trade for him when they're trying to be successful for the first time in like three years with Trey Young, and then two, unless if you're, you know, quite honestly, just a poor like like a a, a poverty franchise, like it, it doesn't make that much sense for contenders to trade for Collins, mostly because contenders don't have really the draft picks necessary, and they're not going to be able to pay him next summer, and I don't know. How badly do you want John Collins for the next four months? So the only thing I can really see is is something like, you know, maybe he he goes to Minnesota, and Minnesota basically just gives Atlanta all their draft picks, um, and a player like Ricky Rubio or someone to help. Which which I I think Trey Young needs another ball handler as well. Now that we're at it, but I think I think. I, anyways, to summarize. I'd be shocked if he was playing in Houston. Uh, excuse me, Atlanta next season. I just, I just don't know what a John Collins move or signing is going to look like. You know, I just, I'm unsure of it. And I guess it would Minnesota the team you'd want to see him on, or where do you think he could reach his max potential? I, I think he would work really well with Cat. Honestly, I think, I think they would both benefit from that a fair bit. Um, obviously he reaches potential more there because, you know, the, and I'm not, it, it will sound like I dislike Trey Young. I don't dislike Trey Young. I just think he's one overrated and two handles the ball way too much. Um, I don't think there's any of that. There's a lot of players who need shots in Minnesota Edwards. I don't know what Russell, the Russell situation is going to be when he gets back. Although he's now. You know, under contract with them for another three years after this season. 
Um, and of course, Cat needs to get his shots up. But I mean, Minnesota really hasn't paired Cat with another kind of good front court partner. You know, they haven't made it easy on him. Um, you know, roster wise. So I think I think that move could could benefit all sides. And it, it's like one of those like, all right, if you're Minnesota, you know how bad you've been you have to be concerned with like making a bit of progress while you have uh, a guy like cat in my opinion and and edwards who's played really well recently at a certain point you just got to collect the most talent you can and see what happens and i think kind of um sacrificing you know some picks that honestly could be really valuable for them down the line for a guy like collins would not like it would push them into like this good good team but like for them like as a fan and as like a, a organization, like at a certain point, all you're fighting for should be like the sixth, seventh, eighth seed for a franchise like them or the Kings. And I think, I think Collins could quite honestly get them there. And I think Collins can improve there too. And I think, I mean, they have the money for it too. So I, I think that's why that may work for me, but I, I don't, I don't, that's the thing. I, I, I don't know where he's, he can go. The other options some people said are the Celtics, but I just don't think, I don't, I don't see it happening. The Celtics would be scary with John Collins. I agree. That would be scary. I actually don't want that to happen. I just don't know if they have. I don't think. Let's not even put that energy out there. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think. I also don't think they really have the pieces to make that work. I don't know if Atlanta would want to trade him within conference either. And the last kind of RFA I want to speak on, and quite frankly, the third most intriguing one is Laurie Markinen. He's a player that a couple of years ago, I think. I had chalked up for big things, and I think a lot of other people did as well. Yeah, I'm, and I'm with of you. Jim Boylan came in, and we haven't seen that player too much since. So, how do you feel on Laurie Markin? And is he going to be a part of this Bulls team that's been making strides this season going forward, or is his potential best suited somewhere else? I think it's you know another one of those situations where they just have to you know call. Yeah, you kind of have to just accept your losses, and you kind of know it's it's best to for both sides to move on, especially because Wendell Carter's been de- I want to say decent this year, um, but like it, it's it feels like the marketing situation isn't going to get better in Chicago to me, which is why you don't keep him. I mean, he'll have the great game every once in a while because you know he is he's still such a talented player, and we saw him be a talented player for like a whole year. It's not like we got a tiny sample size. Like we saw him be really good for a year and a half, and I, I remember at a certain point it was kind of looking like he was going to be kind of the third best player from his draft class, and he fit kind of perfectly with the with the stretch big um, kind of narrative going on three, four years ago. But now it just seems like um, he's not going to fuddle out, but he's kind of like going to fit into Dario Sarge type of role. So I think maybe if he goes to, you know, a a good franchise on, on not a huge contract, even somewhere like, like the Warriors where, you know, there's no pressure and it's a, it's a different situation. I think he could fit nicely into a kind of, first big man off the bench or, you know, starting four, but not, you know, relied on for heavy offense. I, I'd like to see that. I just think he's, it's one of those ties. Chicago's got to cut his ties with them. He, they haven't had any success together for, you know, two years. That's, that's my, I also don't think he's going to get that big of a contract. So I think I don't go for it. Sorry. 
I'd argue that he's, I mean, right now they're in the 10th, 10th position, but very, very easily could, they're not that far from the fifth or the sixth or even the fourth, to be frank. Mm -hmm. And he's their third leading scorer on the team, averaging 18.3 points per game, having his best season so far, shooting effectively from three, shooting 40% from three at a um, clip of seven attempts per game. I mean, I think he's a special player that would be worth holding on to. I don't know. I mean, those stats seem... It would have to be a good return. And I mean, it's not like they're playing terrible, terrible basketball. And he's looked great with Patrick Williams, I think. But the Wendell Carter thing is definitely tough. I mean, honestly, though, like they're 10th in the East. The East is super easy this year. And I mean, they're a high-scoring offense. Obviously, you know, Markkinen's been good, but like it hasn't worked for the past three years with what feels like kind of this roster. So, you know, I wouldn't, I, if I'm the Bulls, I'm, I'm not just getting rid of Markkinen. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of trading. I'm seeing what I can get for Levine too. But I, I, I it just feels like um, it's everything with the Bulls has run its course again. They tried to get a rebuild. It, it did seem like they got some decent players on the roster, but it hasn't worked. Uh, I think Markkinen's good. Like I was saying, I just, I just, him being the third leading scorer on your your team, or was it second or third? I don't think third. that's he's behind Kobe. Uh, no, he's the second leading scorer. Yeah, I don't think that's necessarily a good thing. I don't think that's gonna breed success. I think, I think he's meant to be more of a more of a fourth option. So, like from that standpoint, like it's not like a the Bulls suck and. Lori Markin and sucks and they hate each other. It's just like a it hasn't worked for three years. It's it's quite honestly not working now. It feels like it's working now because they've been playing the best they have in the past three years, which is saying like little to nothing. I just sometimes it's it's not worth going on. Like they say, the definition of insanity is, you know, trying the same thing over again and expecting a different result. So that that's just that's that's where I'm at on it, to be honest. No, and I think that's a, honestly a fair take to have on it. I might be a bit more optimistic on the Bulls, but we do we have talked about it a lot before how it's not constructed as the greatest roster in the world. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't I'm not going to go to bat and die on that hill for the Bulls at all. Yeah. No, good for you. I'm happy you're not. And I think with that being said, I want to talk to talk about some players who maybe we would go to battle for and die for. And this, I think this uh, window of the week is going to hit maybe close to home for some of our viewers, but our favorite, we're going to go over some of our favorite Raptors of all time for this uh, week's window of the week. Mm-hmm. Do you want to start it off with the first pick or what are you thinking? You know, I want you to start it off with the first pick. I'm curious where you're going to go. I mean, I think it's quite obvious where I'm going. I've championed this player. I, I I made a plea to the organization not to trade him or do what his wishes were a couple of weeks ago. And since then, the trade talks have gone up and down. It's been a roller coaster. And we've seen Lowry say, no matter what, he will tire as a Raptor. And people saying, oh, we could get a whole load. We could get maybe like a Tyrese Maxey, a Matthias Theibold, if we could really fleece them. What does he want to, do we want to go see him try to chase in a champion, et cetera, et cetera. And in the end of the day, I just want him to do what he wants to do because he's brought so much joy to my basketball journey. He, I mean, he was the one of the first Raptors jerseys I bought not following a uh, Andre Bargnani jersey, actually. But 
Kyle Lowry is definitely going to be my pick for the favorite, one of my favorite Raptor players of all time. That was easy, and I'm happy. I'm happy you picked him. Here's a question, and people are pretty fast to respond yes, but think about it for a sec. Does Kyle, should Kyle Lowry actually have a a uh, statue outside of the ACC one day, Scotiabank Arena? That's what I'm. That's what I always wonder to myself when I think about him. Sometimes, what I think about is I think about how the type of the guys the Leafs honored outside Scotiabank, and he there's the guys the who not only brought championships to the team but the city adored and who adopted the city themselves. He became a champion of Toronto, and I think that's one of the reasons why I would one would not be mad, and two would encourage a Kyle Lowry. Uh, statue at some point in front of Scotia Bank. I think we need to wait for his career to end and kind for of sure. yeah. um, not see what happens because I think it should happen. But as far as does he join the organization? If then it should be after maybe his time with the organization is over. You know, just whenever he's retired from the Toronto Raptors organization, I'd love to see him recognized in a way like a statue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I'm upvoting the Larry statue as well. My next two picks. Both terrible picks. These are our favorite Raptors. These are the Raptors who meant the most to me. So first, I'm going my favorite Raptor and possibly my you know favorite basketball player of all time. To be honest, that's Ed Davis. Um, I don't know if you were a big Raptors guy when when Ed Davis and Amir Johnson were controlling the block for us, but I think it was just I was obsessed with Ed Davis. I I, I can't explain it. I, I don't know what to say to my, I guess it was probably my 12, 13-year-old self, maybe even 11-year-old self, but um, I love Ed Davis, and I, you know, I'm, I'm happy to admit it. I don't think I'm an Ed Davis addict. I think I can control myself when it comes to him, but big Ed Davis guy. That's, that's, that's my first pick. I know, crazy. My next pick, I was thinking about just going wild again, but... What, sorry, what are, you, what are your fondest memories of Ed Davis, if you have any? I mean, I don't remember Ed Davis with the same kind of reverence you do, but I do remember him and Amir Johnson, just kind of the bad boys of the block, just patrolling it, just reminded me of hockey and just kind of the toughness of basketball as a sport that a lot of people have said, a lot of people who criticize basketball don't necessarily watch it say it's not a tough sport i say watch those two play in the block yeah watch watch that davis offensive rebound in 2012 and tell me otherwise <laughs> um my next pick just because you went lowry i don't i i don't want you to have lowry and tomorrow i'm going tomorrow man tomorrow like if lowry doesn't win a championship i mean tomorrow's my favorite raptor of all time um or like the best Raptor of all time, maybe just like, it was so much fun watching him grow up. Cause it, it, it truly felt that way. Like even like watching the dunk contest, it's a shame how it ended, but you know, it's, it's almost look what he got us at the same time. Um, tomorrow's just awesome. Like as a kid, that was, that was, that was my, you know, Toronto sports player. I wasn't interested in any of the Bautistas or, or the Kessels, I was I was DeRozan guy, and I, and I always will be. He's just one of those guys you wish nothing but the best for. Um, and also just a great, like, you know, Lowry says he genuinely, genuinely loves Toronto, but honestly it seemed like DeRozan was a bigger, you know, Toronto guy. So 
Drozen's my second, and I, I guess there's not much else to say about him or it, that pick. Oh, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I also would have picked Drozen if you didn't pick him up there. I, I, I'll just champion everything you said for the sake of brevity. Thank you. So going into uh, my next uh, two picks here, I think it's going to be, I want to just pick everybody from the championship team just because I think that team means so much to Toronto and the organization. But you know what? I'm going to save this final pick because I don't think you're going to pick them. Uh, I'll save them for my final pick with that value added. But here I'm going to pick another guy who is a champion of Toronto. And really, I mean, carries that mentality that we love to see here. And I think that type of mentality that made Lowry endear to the fans, and that's Fred Van Fleet. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bet on himself, the the big shots he's made, the post uh, baby Fred. I mean, although he's still, although his story with us has yet to develop fully, and I might be jumping the gun on this one. I think, and even though he hasn't really even fully accepted the adoration from the fans, I love the way Fred carries himself. I love the way that reflects on the team. I love the message of bet on yourself, and I love the things as well he's done for Toronto and the community. Yeah, and I, I don't think it's too early to to you know pick Fred. I think I think I can see you know the relationship blooming, and yeah, no, great, great. Um, he's he's a great Raptor, has been, and, and hopefully continues. Exactly. And for my next pick here, I'm gonna go with another Raptor who, I mean has brought so much love to Toronto, has let everybody know he loves Toronto, and that's Serge Ibaka. He was faced huge criticisms here in some down years from not only myself, but all Toronto fans. He rebounded with huge seasons, brought everything that we could have expected from him as far as an acquisition throughout his time here, brought us a championship, brought us attention, brought us love, and, you know, helped... Um, I think helped develop the culture as well and the kind of love that Toronto gets as far as the recognition from people in the media. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. I'm, I'm not a huge surge guy, but it's like, well, one, he left on, you know, the season he left on was, was great. And, and he was, I think he was underratedly super, super important in that golden state series watching games back. You, you didn't realize how big some of his buckets were at the time. It felt like, but, um, yeah, I, I liked, I was never, I just didn't like him personally, but um, yeah, a, a great Raptor, definitely. No, for sure. Now I've got one pick left, but I'm going to have to hand it off to you here. Okay, I'll go quick. Um, kind of in the same state as your Fred pick, I'm OG. I just know, I already love him. I know I'll love him for however much longer he's here. He's the coolest guy on the planet. Um can't really argue otherwise in my opinion uh he's the best for many reasons and my next pick just because we're running out of time i'll keep this short uh honorable mention to linus claza i was a huge linus claza fan back in the day honorable mention to tj ford but we're going with pops mensabonsu and when the raptors were really 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 bad pops mensabonsu was like the only thing that got me out of bed in the morning um unmatched energy this guy was just awesome i remember i remember pleading 
for Pops Mensabonks, New Jersey. Thankfully, my parents advised, you know, otherwise. Um, but for the kind of two years he was here, he was like the ultimate like hype man. I, he was just awesome. I don't know what else to say. No, and I think that's a great reason to pick a player on this list. And I totally agree with your OG pick. And I was really debating between him and Serge there with my third pick. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, like I was saying before, for the sake of brevity, for my final pick, I'm going to pick Jose Calderon. Yeah. I mean, Jose was one of the players who uh, first, you know, helped me love, uh, develop the love for the game. And just watching him play, I think the way he played point guard was great as far as always pitching in on the steals, lots of assists, great uh, great free throw percentage, great three-point shooter throughout his career here. Yeah, and, I, think, I think he gets overlooked as kind of the best Raptor of all time in the debate. Like, of course, it's DeRozan, Lowry, Bosch, and Carter, and then the rest of the field. But I think the top of the rest of the field is Calderon. He had a great career here. No, and what and one thing I wanted to also think is he stayed in the community, in the sports community. You know, I was attending a conference this weekend and he spoke at it. He continues to add value to the Toronto sports scene, and I thank him for that as well. Mm-hmm. And with that being said, you are listening to The Jabroni Show on CFRC 101.9 FM. Have a great morning, and we'll talk to you all soon. And you're listening to JB on CFRC 101.9 FM. Hello, I'm Tamara Cicerella, a counselor serving area residents who live with addictions or mental health concerns. Deeply committed workers like me assist people in reaching their recovery goals. On April 1st, Addictions and Mental Health Services in Kingston and Frontenac joins Lennox and Addington in offering confidential quality services. Addictions Mental Health Services, Kingston, Frontenac, Lennox, and Addington is committed to providing the best possible services to all who need it. For more information in Kingston and Frontenac, call 613-544-1356 or in Lennox and Addington, 613-354-7388.